Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Drilled to center field and deep. Back on it is Eaton. To the track. To the wall. It's gone! Kevin Longoria with a two-run home run to straightaway center. And he gives the Rays a 6-4 lead here in the ninth. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. The 2-2 now. Check swing on the slider. Strike three. Chris Archer jumps off the mound and bounces his way to the dugout. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our show. Happy Father's Day. Today, our program from Crown Honda on US 19 in Pinellas Park. And today on the show, we'll look back at the draft Here from the top three selections for the Rays this year, visit with Rob Metzler, Director of Scouting, and Jonathan Mayo of MLB Network to review the draft and sit down on this Father's Day with a dad in Jay Goderizzi. Hey, the Rays have put their own spin on the super cool fidget spinners. Kids 14 and under receive a Rays spinner presented by TGH Children's Medical Center Sunday, June 25th when the Rays take on the Orioles at home. Get yours while supplies last. Be part of the action. Visit RaysBaseball.com. This is This Week in Rays Baseball. Coming up, Jay Cotarizzi on Father's Day and what he remembers about the draft right after this on the Rays Baseball Network. We continue on This Week in Rays Baseball. Our feature guest this week is one Jay Cotarizzi. Jake, first of all, uh, this week was the Major League Baseball draft, so let's go down memory lane a little bit. What do you remember about being drafted in that day? Um, my year, um, 2008, it was already, it already happened in the first week of June. So we were still playing, uh, I saw my high school team, we were in the state tournament and it was starting the next day and the draft was the day before. So I was watching in a hotel in Joliet, Illinois, and it was still on ESPN then. And it was just a very long process of watching the whole thing. Cause it was just kind of a, you don't know where you're going to go. You know, we were told early, so we just pretty much watched from the get go, but it took about probably three hours to get to, to my pick. They had longer picks then. So it was kind of a, a nerve wracking situation. Cause it was really a lot of unknown. You know, a lot of teams were interested. They say they are, and you have to take it for that, but you just kind of sit there and watch and the teams that you know, are interested, you're hoping it's you and then it's not, and you just kind of move forward. So it was, uh, the time I got picked was kind of the, uh, a, you know, an exhale overwhelming type of experience just for the fact of, you know, working at your craft for, you know, 10 years, whatever it is, when you first, first start getting serious about baseball and the last couple of years in high school. And it's, it was just kind of a, this is the next chapter of my life type of a thing. And where this can lead is completely up to me from this point. So it was, uh, it was a culmination of a lot of things, but, you know, just happiness was the overall, overall feeling. So did you see it for the first time on television or did you get a call from either a representative or the team itself before the pick actually showed up on the board? Uh, I saw it on TV first, so it was uh, it was a cool thing just to watch and you know see your name up there, have them you know talk about you a little bit. It's weird to see yourself on uh, TV when you're still a high school kid, and uh, yeah, it was just a kind of a surreal type of experience, you know, watching it and like, oh, this is this is me, this is my you know this is my time finally, and uh, I just have to make the most of my opportunity. You know, I'm the same ranks as everybody else. Everyone's trying to get to the major leagues, and I'm uh, starting that journey now. The network has has changed in terms of where it's viewed, but what advice do you now give, God, it's nine years later, to guys who are starting their professional careers at this point? Um, Don't take anything for granted. That's, you know, the biggest thing is a lot of people get drafted first round, second round, third round, whatever it is, you're a high pick, and they think it's just going to be a a straight line road to you're automatically going to be a big leaguer. And, you know, I've seen a lot of guys with 
a tremendous amount of talent that, you know, don't put the effort into it or they're weak on the mental side, whatever it is, and they just don't end up making it. So you have to make the most of your opportunity. And I think more so the mental side is important than the physical side. You got drafted because of the physical side and um, the mentality you take in the minor leagues is a different thing. I showed up in Arizona day one and I was thinking to myself, this is professional baseball. Like, this is... This is outrageous, but, uh, you know, it's the starting point, and I think you just have to weather the storm a little bit and just think, you know, it's a process. You're not going to be in the big leagues the next day. You're not going to do this, and it's not going to go as quick as you want. It never does. You know, for the few, very few people, it probably does, but, uh, yeah, you just have to take it day at a time and not try to get too far ahead of yourself. You may think you're ready, and when the time comes, you might be humbled and, you know, shown that you're not quite ready in there, and you have to learn at that level. So there's just a just, you know, sit back and take your time, but, you know, treat every day like you're trying to learn something. You mentioned something pretty interesting, the mental side of it. Can you become better mentally in this game, or when you're drafted, do you have strong mental abilities or don't have them at that point? Uh, I think it can be learned. You know, some people are, you know, gifted with it and others you can learn from it if you've had you know if you have some issues with coping with minor league life with adversity a lot of guys don't have any adversity when they're in the high school ranks if you're a high round draft pick you're probably dominant you're the best player in your area so there's nothing that's really ever held you back so I've always been lucky to have a good mental side of the game I just don't you know I don't show emotion I'm very flatlined if it's a big situation you know if I've given up 10 or if I've given up zero I want to look the exact same on the mound as I would you know for both of those situations and I've always been told you know you never let the other team feed off of your emotions and you keep everything like I said it might be storming out but you're quiet on the inside so um, that's always been my mentality and it's held true for me and done me well my entire career so uh, I was fortunate to you know kind of have that uh, thought process but you know some guys are more animated other guys you know, not so much, but it's definitely something that you can learn to either control or, you know, get better at. And you have certainly grown, you know, during the course of your career here and, and throughout professional baseball. You were a dad, so tell me what Father's Day now means to you versus maybe what it did when you started your pro career. <laughs> it's got a lot more meaning now to have a little one that's going to be, you know, there watching, not there, you know, this year, but he'll be watching on TV. Um, it's crazy to think, you know, two years ago, it was, you know, just on, you know, Father's Day was what it was for the past 25 years. And now it's, it means a lot more to me now to have a son of my own. And, uh, you know, a lot of everything that I, you know, do on the baseball field is for, you know, my wife and my son. Just, you know, I want to do my best for them and I want to do my best to provide for them best I can so every time I go out there it's like they're out there with me because I'm doing it you know for them so it gives you a little extra drive when you have you know people in your life to take care of and uh, you're responsible for it gives a greater meaning to uh, you know good games it gives a greater meaning to bad games it makes the bad ones easier and it makes the good ones even better so when I'm uh, when I'm out there I got him I got him right there with me on my glove I have my wife and my son's initials with, along with my own so it's kind of like I take a piece of them out there with me every time so it definitely has a greater meaning now to you know have the dad title or you know behind my name when did you uh, put the initials on the glove is that this year or was that last year you did it it was last year and this year as well so since uh, since he was born um, it's always been uh, thing that I've had on my gloves and before that I always had my wife's initials on my hat so I like I just said you know I'm going to combine them all put it right there on my glove and you know that thing touches the ball every day and uh, it's it's uh, like I said it's it's taking them with me wherever I go so 
it's just kind of a little special thing that means means a lot to me and uh, just something subtle but uh like I said, it's, it means a lot now to have a youngster out there and now where he's getting to the stage of he's hitting the ball around, he's throwing stuff around, and, you know, it's just it's a cool thing to see him get into uh, some, some sporting activities. When you see your son, what do you see of him in or you in him, and what do you see of Carissa in him? <laughs> he looks a lot like Carissa. He's got a lot of her looks. Um, He's got blonde hair just like her, a lot of her facial features. It's really funny because he started off looking a lot like me when he was real little. He had brown hair, and then it's kind of changed to blonde, and he's got more of her features as he's uh, as he's grown up. But he, I see a lot of myself in him, just a lot of the things that he does, a lot of the facial expressions that he does. And uh, he's got my height, fortunately, right now. He's he's higher up on the scale for, for his age, so that's what uh, that's what he's looking for. But I see, you know a lot of my features in him and it's it's just cool to you know see uh he's got a good mix of both of us so it's nice that he's got you know the two mixed together and he's definitely you know he's definitely my kid so it's like you seem like yep that's definitely my kid with some of the stuff that he does and some days when he's doing something bad he's definitely Chris's kid so <laughs> since he is uh since we mentioned your son how about your dad what kind of influence was he on you on this father's day um he was you know my first coach really um the league we had in our our town he was a coach another one of my buddies was his dad was a coach and then a third was so it was really all of our dads that kind of started a a team for us and he was kind of influential and um you know getting me started on the right direction of baseball and as you know we get older you phase out and you have mid, middle school coaches uh, high school blah 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 but uh yeah he was you know my first coach a lot of my friends first coaches so he um kind of put it all together for us and uh really got us you know the group of friends that I have back then, that you know, that's how we all got to know each other when we were younger through baseball. So, and it's held true until now. So he was, like I said, he uh, was the start of our of our team, a lot of my friendships. So it's uh, he put us on the right direction, and he was, you know, a, a good coach of you know being tough when you needed to, but not trying to really change a thing. We were all young kids, so it was more about having fun, and that's what we did. We always had a lot of fun. Uh, on all the teams I was on, and you know, he was a part of. So it was uh, it was a good start. Like I said, I had a, a good upbringing. Who in your family does the stoic mentality come from that you take on the mound? I'm not really sure. <laughs> I mean, it's it's just something I was always taught was, you know, don't don't let them see you sweat type of a thing. And um, I think it holds more true to the major league level because there's cameras on you from all different directions at all times. Uh, the opposing team's watching you, trying to pick up anything they can just to get that edge. And if you can't give somebody a, just a small mental edge and they're trying to read you, I think that ball stays in your court more, so it keeps them a little bit more off balance. But, uh, you know, some guys, if they're having a tough time, you see them kind of slouch around. You know, the body language changes, and I think it fuels the other team just for the fact of, you know, we know that this guy doesn't have today, or we got him on the ropes, blah, blah, blah. Whereas if you might be getting there hitting around, but you're not showing it, you're, you know, you, you have a little more credibility that, you know, there's still some good that could come. So that's just how I've always been, minor league level definitely this level and I you know, get it from my teammates all the time that you know I never get excited at this and that it'll happen once twice a year whatever it is that'll show some emotion but that's just me and that's how I am I'm laid back when baseball's not going on so I'm just you know I'm I wouldn't I'm not laid back on the mound but I'm prepared and I just want to be as you know strong as I can out there mentally and physically and so far so good during uh, the bulk of your career to this point you know we've talked about it before you grew up 
a Cardinals fan. I know it's a ways off, but when you go out there and when this team goes out there this summer, will that have any extra added meaning? I know you've done it there before. I mean, it's something you only get to do once every three years. Yeah, um, uh, it was fortunate my first year I got to go there, and I think now going there a second time, three years later, I've changed a lot as a player. Um, just it's it'll be you know start valuing things a little bit more the the longer year around in the game and you know they come every three years so if I can make it three years you know I made it three years since then that's a pretty good uh, you know accomplishment that I'm still going to be able to make a second trip there but um it's it's a cool thing to go back to your you know your home city your home state area and you know play at the stadium that you've grew up watching so I'll, I'll value it again even if I don't play um, who knows if I'll get to pitch whatever it is maybe I'll get to pinch it I don't know but uh, it's it's a really cool thing and I those are the thing the things I really you know value a lot and if uh, you know Kirsten Red will be there as well so it'll be cool to see you know have him watch me there and just kind of everything comes full circle facing off against Adam Wainwright here was that your best moment at a, as a big leaguer and if not what was I don't know if I can single out a best moment so far. There's been a lot of great moments that, you know, may not on the outside world be what people would think is the best. Um, I value things a little bit differently, but, um, yeah, that was a big part of, you know, one of my first experiences really. It was still new to the big leagues. Things weren't going too well for me at the time, and that game was a big turning point in my season, and everything took, you know, went a lot better direction from there. I had a good outing. Uh, it was against my you know, hometown team. I grew up watching Wainwright a lot. So there's a lot of cool things that happened in that game that really have kind of propelled my career in the right direction and kind of made a stepping stone for improvement. And I've just kind of taken off from there. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's cool. And then we got to do it again in St. Louis. So it was kind of like a, a double matchup. But um, yeah, I really I really value those sort of things. And everyone does, you know, everyone has different feelings about that, I'm sure. Guys that are from California, if they get to play at Dodger Stadium, whatever, it's the same type of thing. But those are the things you know that are that are cool to me, and um, it's it's nice to go out there and it's nice to you know get wins in that situation too. You mentioned how much you've grown since then. Where do you think you've grown the most, and now where do you want to grow the most going forward? Um, I think I've become more consistent about what I'm doing with the stuff or lack of stuff on certain days. Um, I think that's the difference between what makes guys stick around and makes guys good and good to great. Um, and I still have a lot of, you know, learning that I can do, but if you can go pitch with not your best stuff, anybody can pitch with their best stuff. Um, the times where you learn how to pitch with your not so good stuff is the determiner. And for me, that's exactly what I am is I'm a pitcher. I don't have the natural ability. Like a lot of guys that just outstuff you on a certain day, even if I don't have it, but, uh, I always have to pitch, and I think that's what I've always what's helped me out to get here to this point. Is in the minor leagues, I was a pitcher as well. I've always been a pitcher. I've never been a hard thrower. I've never had all you know overpowering stuff. So it's benefited me at a at a young age to always to learn how to pitch. So when I got up here, it's a little more relatable. But I think I can always throw more strikes, uh, get some quicker outs, and I think the next step in my you know my development is just consistently reaching that seventh, eighth inning. You know, like you know. A lot of the guys that are mainline starters, you know, when they take the ball, you're like, all right, we got at least seven today. And I think I'm kind of on the uh, on the right way for that. There's still improvements that need to be made. But, um, you know, as my career has gotten deeper and deeper, I've learned to be a little more conservative with my pitches. Um, sure, it's hit and miss it sometimes, but um, you just have to, it's all about execution. I think that's the big thing for me is I'm trying to execute 
all of my pitches now, whereas when I was younger, I was kind of, the game started speeding up on me and I sped up with it. So it just got me all out of whack. And now I'm just kind of taking my time, get through everything and focus on the matter at hand and not worry about, you know, what's coming up in the lineup or who I have on base, that sort of thing. So there's a lot of things that I can keep, continue to get better at. And I think that holds true for just about everybody. Well, it's been enjoyable to watch you grow. Enjoy your Father's Day. Thanks for joining us on This Week in Race Baseball. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. We continue right after this. You're listening to the Race Baseball Network. Well, we continue on This Week in Race Baseball, and Rob Metzler, Director of Scouting for the Rays, joins us. And, Rob, hopefully you've gotten over what I would call the draft hangover. How, how tough is it to come down from that three-day stretch and all those picks and now having to worry about signing everybody? It's nice to get some sleep and the urgency of consistently being on the clock. You know, when that wears off and you're able to get some sleep and catch up with the guys and just kind of recollect yourself, it, it's, a, it's a great feeling. Since you've had some time to reflect – Give me your take now on the draft itself. What did you like most about it, and what did you learn during this year's draft? We it was we were very happy with the result. You know, I, I think I think what I liked most about it was I felt like our staff, you know, both in the field and in the office, had us very prepared for all of the decisions we were going to encounter in in real time. In, in what is what's fast real time? You know, the, the the minute between picks on day two, and you know, and and. You know, rapid fire on on day three. Uh, I, I felt like our team that we had in place had us in very good position and very prepared for what decisions might come our way. Let's start with the first decision that went your way in Brendan McKay. How surprised were you, and how likely did you think that outcome was? Again, not the first person to ask how likely I thought the outcome was. I. It's really hard to set odds on that. As as I've told people, we prepare to be surprised come draft day. It's really each team's draft board is completely unique and their situation is completely unique and you just never know how how things are going to go in front of you so we were we we were pleased with the result you know I, I you know we were very pleased to be able to get Brennan is this more time than you spent talking about anyone who could do two things in the draft before I think I mean, it's a very unique collegiate baseball player you know I, I, Brennan is very accomplished both on the mound and in the field and at the plate. And that's, you know, in terms of looking back at historical comps, I'm not the, you know, I've been doing this for, you know, been very much involved in the draft world for about 11 years now. So this is something that I haven't encountered, but talking to RJ Harrison, Bobby Heck, Chuck Ritchie, our, our national travelers who've been doing this a long time, this isn't the type of situation we encounter or the type of talent that we encounter all, all the time. So it, it makes it a, challenging evaluation because it's so unique but it's also it makes you appreciate how how special we think brendan is give our fans an idea going forward or after that pick how you then have to create in essence the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle because you have a 12 and a half million dollar budget you've got a certain amount that you have to spend toward your first pick and then you kind of have to figure out okay how do we make sure to get the players we want but also fit them within reason. How challenging is that, and and what does that involve? What gym, mental gymnastics does that involve? It's it's a team effort to be prepared. You just have to be very aware of of the marketplace and what what players. You know, it's not as simple as just working down down a draft board. You you have to be aware because player A's bonus demands might be different than player B's, and you just have to be very aware of those and 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 have communication with with those families and those players about what they're looking for and what, if there's a potential fit and then, 
you know, that sometimes you have to make financial decisions to say, you know, which, you know, as to circle it all the way back, my job is to add the most talent into the, you know, as part of leading a team to add the most talent into the organization we possibly can given our budget. And sometimes, you know, the budget component of that plays a factor. You look at the first two pitchers you took on day one, Drew Rasmussen and Michael Mercado, and then a couple of the guys that fell after that, whether it's Drew Strotman or some others, really big physical kids with big fastballs. How important is that in today's day and age when you look at the major league level and see so many guys, whether it's bullpens or starters, that have such premium velocity? Size, <laughs> size, arm strength, you know, there, there's no secret you know I, I don't think we have a secret sauce compared to other clubs you know I, I think that we like pitchers with size we like pitchers with arm strength we like pitchers who have good arms and actions deliveries we like pitchers who have the ability to spin the baseball we like pitchers who can have shown the ability to compete and then all of those guys in different forms of fashion check a lot of those boxes so it was it was nice to be able to add that collection of ingredients in, in each specific case the thing that maybe I don't know if our fans really understand, is a scout team. Um, Michael Mercado, your third pick, had been part of a Ray scout team, and that was one of the reasons you guys had a relationship and decided to draft him with him, committed to Stanford. Can you explain for a fan how a scout team works and how that helps, whether it's your team or another team, get to learn that player and maybe decide to draft that player? Yeah, the scout teams are different in different parts of the country, very very much a part of the culture in, in Southern California and in San Diego in that case. So our, our, you know, started by Jake Wilson and then run by Josh Arhart and most recently run by Jaime Jones. We've had a strong scout ball team in Southern California. They play for most of the fall. They'll play on, on weekends, you know, head to some tournaments, but then to just play some local action, whether it's against other scout teams, or, you know, the, you know, the Yankees or the Braves or the Brewers all have, you know, they have their own scout teams and put them together and, and compete, you know, under the coaching of, of a scouting staff. So that's very, very much a part of Southern California. And, and the relationship that Jaime in specific had with, with Michael Mercado allowed us to just really feel comfortable with him as a pitcher, Michael as, as a person, you know, the whole family dynamic, and then certainly feel comfortable that, that this was somebody we were going to be able to sign. Day two, you also drafted a guy, Taylor Walls, who is a Florida State kid, who obviously fans within the state of Florida are very excited about. Why did you like him so much, and why do you see him as a shortstop? Taylor's a good baseball player. You know, from from you know, in the field, he's a very steady defensive player. He's got range. He's got quick quick twitch actions. Side to side mobility is very good, and he, he's got steady hands and a, and, a, and a strong, accurate arm. You know, at, at the plate. Talking about a switch hitter who has a very good understanding of the strike zone and, and a very good approach to at-bats. You know, he, he, especially in the second half of the spring, this, you know, we, we can all look at the stat lines. And his sophomore year, he was, you know, it was it was a very strong season. His The start to his junior year wasn't quite as, you know, probably not exactly what Taylor desired, but how he was able to get through it and really look at his at-bats over the most recent history. It's been much more like the player we saw as a sophomore, and we're encouraged that that's the direction he's going in the future. Day three covers rounds 11 to 40, and it's usually fairly different. You're going to find guys maybe with not as many tools or maybe not as polished a tool. Would that be fair to say, unless they've kind of slipped? And Justin Lewis is a unique case because he's a draft-eligible sophomore. How unique is it for you guys to do draft someone in their sophomore season and, and what makes him potentially special? Justin has a 
projectable body, a very live arm. It's a loose arm, and he has a plus changeup, you know, and, and he's very athletic. So in terms of the uni- uniqueness of adding a sophomore eligible player like that in, in, in day three, uh, it's hard. You know, <laughs> we'll see how it plays out. We were fortunate to have that opportunity to start the day on day three. We'll put it that way. And there were a couple other unique guys, maybe because of how they performed or their body frames. Uh, I want to ask one, Eric Osberg, a catcher from Hartford who was leading the nation in hitting when he got hurt. And then two, Vince Bird, who's big, big frame. I mean, we see all the, you know, everyone's talking about Aaron Judge. So you see a frame like that in California, like, you know, what about this kid? So what can you tell me about each of those players and what made them guys you wanted to draft? We like Eric Osberg's bat quite a bit. You know, we, we think highly of him as a hitter, and, and truthfully, you know, we, his season was incomplete, and we didn't, you know, get a complete evaluation of him defensively. We we were encouraged by what we've heard in the past, but we think it'll be a developmental project to continue to for him to progress defensively. Uh, but the ingredients of a left-handed hitting catcher, we thought that was the right spot to to take a chance and put those ingredients into into the system. And, and Vince Bird has really, really good left-handed power, size, physicality, and power. And those are ingredients. Again, when we get to day three, Neil, we're talking about players who were putting ingredients into the system where these young men are going to be placed in a position. All of the players are going to have to compete. But specifically on day three, these players are going to have to compete and work their way through the system, and, and out, whether it's competing against opposition, but also competing within our own group to continue to make progress and, and compete for opportunity going forward. And now that you're a couple of days removed from the draft, July 7th is when you have to your pick sign. How confident are you now compared to, let's say, right when the draft ended about the top 11 picks, your top 10 rounds? We're, we're very hopeful. As, as I said at the time, continue – until they're all, all the inks dry, you know, we're, we're, it's always an uneasy feeling where you're always getting through the three days of the draft is, is great and you can take a little bit of a deep breath, but the work is not complete. Our draft class will not be complete until July 7th and we have the entirety of the group in the fold. Well, we will talk to you when that date has passed. We wish you good luck and uh, especially over these next couple of weeks. Thanks, Neil. Appreciate it. Coming up on This Week in Race Baseball, here from the Race Top 3 Draft Picks, plus Jonathan Mayo of MLB Network, right after this on the Race Baseball Network. Welcome back to This Week in Race Baseball. I'm Neil Solons. Right after the race took Brendan McKay, I spoke with the team's top pick, and I asked him when he knew he was going fourth. I was actually told by uh, my advisor, I think it was after uh, the second pick was called out, um, he had given me a call, you know, giving me a heads up that uh, I think the Tampa was likely going to pick me and uh just that feeling was awesome to know that you, know, you sit there and i think my, my heart was pretty much beating out of my chest at that point you know just waiting for that moment um and it was awesome you know i had family i had all my all my teammates here and, and some of the coaches so it was just an awesome feeling to be around those guys can you put into perspective what this journey has been like in this whole process it's just been a whirlwind um you know going through it through in high school um not really knowing what's going to happen, um, and then ultimately coming here to Louisville, and then just having the career you've had and, and being some of the places we've been um, as a team has been awesome. If I, being to, to three super regionals and um, being so close on in two of them, and then finally this year we, we break through and get to go to the College World Series, it's, it's amazing to, to do that with this group of guys. They're awesome, and, and I absolutely love them. You're such a unique individual, a guy who pitches and also hits. What does it mean that the Rays are giving you the chance to start your professional career and do both? I think it's awesome and that it can add a new level to baseball. 
having a, having you know, ultimately two guys in one that can can provide for you on the mound and on the and on the field and in the in the box, getting to do both. I think it's it's fun to to be able to do both and see if a guy can do it. You know, it could open a whole new aspect to guys that are able to do it successfully and at a high level to to get them in and you know adding something new to baseball would be fun. You've done it at the collegiate level and obviously very successfully. So, what allows you to do both well, at least at that level? Man, just just preparation and that deep down desire and you know confidence in yourself that knowing that you know you may not have your best stuff every day or or whatnot. You know, one one maybe better than the other at some points throughout the season, but you just keep working through it and just keep fighting and helping your team out as much as you can and just. You know, at some point, everything's going to click together and you're going to be rolling with both. So how does pitching help you hit, and how does hitting help you pitch? Really, it helps equally, you know, knowing how some pitchers want to pitch in certain situations to certain types of hitters, and, you know, the same thing for pitching. You know, you know, you know how to pitch some some styles of hitters and, you know, what, what guys are looking for in some counter in some certain situations. Tell me, from a baseball perspective, what ignited your passion in the game to begin with, and what players did you grow up watching that you really enjoyed? Yeah, I love watching Jeter and you know all the big guys when I was growing up, like Bonds and Griffey, and just the star names that you would always see on on TV and everything. And I just love being around the game. I watched my sisters play uh, softball growing up, so I was always uh, dragged to their games being the youngest of three. So getting to getting to see that it kind of united my passion from there. And as a pitcher, what who did you like watching pitch? Oh man, uh, I can't specifically remember uh, any standout pitchers, but you know, like like Randy Johnson, guys that were just quality pitchers, and they they had this this stuff and you know that that ability to get to get out and had had fun doing it. You're going, as you mentioned, to the College World Series. How excited are you for that, and, and how hard will it be to kind of put the focus back on that after after a day like this? Oh, I'm absolutely thrilled. Um, you know, getting getting broken, heartbroken two years in a row on, on your home field, um, and then finally reaching it this year. Uh, it's just it's awesome. But I think you know it's not, it's not going to be tough to move forward. You know, the the next couple couple hours, couple days are going to be you know, filled with interviews and, you know, other types of media stuff. But I think once we, you know, we practice on Thursday and, and board that plane to go to, to Omaha, I think it's going to be amazing and everything's going to be pushed away. Um, you know, there, there's obviously going to be stuff brought up in Omaha about it. But I'm just excited to be there and, you know, just enjoy the time we get there with this group of guys. They're awesome. I love them. And that is first-round pick Brendan McKay. The Rays' second-round selection, or second pick, Drew Rasmussen, is also at the College World Series with Oregon State. And I asked Drew to reflect on being taken 31st overall. Throughout life, just in general, there's ups and downs. And, uh, you know, out of high school, I wasn't a huge prospect. And, and you know, hard work has really paid off and, and gave me a little bit bigger name here in college. And uh, and obviously, through the rehab process, that was, that was, that was you know, one of the valleys. And... And, and, you know, it's awesome, you know, with everyone who's helped me get to this point, it, it's awesome to be able to, to achieve this accomplishment and have the ability to give thanks to them. You know, what has been uh, most special about this, what you've done and also your team? I mean, you're going to the College World Series, uh, you get drafted 31st overall, it's a pretty good week. Uh, yeah, and, you know, 
one of my best friends here, Kainoa Harrison, just got drafted uh, as well. Yeah, it's it's awesome to be able to celebrate with everyone here because Oregon State does a great job of, of, you know, building a brotherhood. This is more than a team to me. These are, you know, lifelong relationships. I think how, the success we've had is, is, you know, an attribute of that because we, we, we truly love each other. And, and, you know, when you love each other, you're willing to do anything for each other and, uh you know, that's, that, that's the reason we play for each other and not, not individual accomplishments. You know, I would assume that's probably one of the attributes or characteristics that made you attractive to the Rays. Um, what are, what, or how surprised were you that they selected you? Uh, I mean, I was shocked. It, it, was, it was awesome, you know, uh, and it's awesome because they are a family-based organization. You know, everyone, everyone's a part of the family. I actually got a text message from... Uh, a guy they uh, drafted in 2015, I believe, Ty Jackson. I played with him a, uh, a couple summers ago, and I've built a great relationship. And, you know, the first text he said he sent me was, welcome to the family. And, and, you know, just being able to see that and be a part of it is something special. From you as a pitcher, our, our fans obviously will probably watch some of the College World Series to get a better look at you, but what can you tell us about yourself and, and what makes you uh, a guy who was worthy of a draft pick this high? You know, I think mental makeup is a real separator. And, uh, you know, I, I believe I'm an extremely competitive guy, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you beat me. And, you know, that's, that, that's, that's a confidence that the coaching staff here and, and, and coaches along the way have instilled in me. And, and then, you know, I was able to grasp for myself. And, uh, yeah, like I said, just competitive and confident gives me the ability to, uh, to you know, or it gave me the opportunity to be drafted by the organization. You know, you mentioned the highs and lows, and, and you went, underwent Tommy John surgery a little over a year ago. What did you learn about yourself through the process of coming back from it? <laughs> you know, uh, first thing I learned was I'm not a very patient person. You know, that is the hardest part. Uh, you know, throwing a baseball, something as simple as throwing a baseball, is a part of everyday life, you know, as, as a college baseball player for sure. And you know, even more so at the professional level. And, uh, you know, when you get that taken away for five months, you know, you feel like you're twiddling your thumbs a little bit because you got nothing better to do. And, and, you know, a big chunk of your day has just been eliminated because you got to allow your body to heal. Um, so, yeah, patience was probably the biggest thing I, 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 had to, I had to learn from the whole experience. And how do you think it's made you better? Uh, because from what I've heard, the reports were not only you, you've come along a long way and, and your velocity is back to where it was pretty much. Yeah. Um, you know, Coach Yeski has done a great job. Uh, as a freshman, I didn't understand the game. You know, I was just immature as a freshman, just like most 18-year-olds are across this country. And so uh, it's funny to say, but, you know, looking back at it, getting surgery might be a blessing because, you know, it allowed me to appreciate the game a little bit more, and it also gave me a greater understanding for, for you know, what goes into building a scouting report or, or you know, the, the, the other side of the game that most people don't see. And, you know, Coach Yeski did a great job of, of, of helping me, you know, get to that point, and, and you know, I, I give all, all the credit and thanks to him. You mentioned growing and maturing at Oregon State, but what ignited your passion initially in the game of baseball? And is there anyone at the big league level as a pitcher that you really liked watching growing up as a kid? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm a Spokane, Washington guy, Seattle Mariner fan, so I, growing up watching King Felix has is, is been, you know, a, a treat for me. And, and, you know, I love the way the guy battles. And I remember watching his first start when he was, you know, 18, and, you know, I still try and catch every start of his, 
to this day. Well, hopefully you're fortunate enough to get a start against him sometime at the at the highest level. Uh, I'm curious your take on getting to play opposite Brendan McKay, who you were a teammate of, right, at Team USA. Yeah, uh, you know, Brendan's a, you know, he's, he's a great individual off the field, which is the most important part, you know. Great people are what make up great organizations, and, you know, the talent, the talent he has is just a bonus. Drew Rasmussen and those in the College World Series can't sign until they finish play. And Rasmussen yesterday closed out Oregon State's win over Cal State Fullerton. The race third pick, though, high schooler Michael Mercado has signed, and I asked him about being picked 40th. I basically, uh, I had been in contact with the Rays. I played for their scout team over the past um, three three years. I started my sophomore year of high school and played all the way through my senior year of high school, and that was, that was a great experience getting to know people like Jaime and people um, within the Rays organization. They're always super helpful to me. So um, that kind of, that's how it kind of got started. Um, and then really the night um, I invited my high school team over because they had been supporting me all through this year. And I'm really grateful for that. So I wanted them to, uh, to come over and uh, see what would happen. And I invited some family over and um, getting picked 40th overall, that, that means the world to me because at the beginning of the year, I, I really couldn't have imagined anything, anything better than this. Um, I, I kind of went in um, kind of already in my head that I was going to go to Stanford next year and have, try to have a great college career. Um, but then I started to pitch very well, and the opportunities came up, and so I couldn't can, can be happier right now. For our fans who might not you know, quite understand the whole scout team concept, can you explain what it is so they have a good idea as to how it works and how you ended up with the race scout uh, team? So they, uh, it's, it's a scout team, which basically means uh, it's almost like a travel team, but um, it's set up through the organization, and um, they basically are – it's Southern California, so they have um, – they have tryouts for, for different uh, in different locations for anyone can try out. I think usually you have to get invited though to to try out, and then from there they can choose um, whoever they want to be on the team. This year, they cut the roster size down from I think like forty to maybe like twenty five people. So mm-hmm. there's a lot um, a lot better kids um, that could play. Um, not necessarily better, I think, because. If you're invited, you're usually very good. But everyone was more tightly bonded because I mean, there's only 25 of us. Um, but you basically get called to try out. And if you make it, then you play um, one game on, on Sundays. Um, and for pitchers, you usually only throw about one inning because you usually have about 10 pitchers on, on the staff. Mm-hmm. And then hitters, uh, they will get a couple of at-bats, play a couple innings in the field. And um, it's all a really good time. And, you get really good exposure from um, college scouts and a couple major league scouts might come out. It certainly sounds like it. Tell me where you took off the most, you know, as a pitcher, as a person this year. This year, I would, I, I don't know if it was really this year because I, I would say I've been working my way up all through high school. I really had a, jump, a really big jump in velocity from my freshman to sophomore year. I jumped about 10 miles per hour just by doing some weight ball and working out more, getting stronger and um, getting more of a routine going. Um, and ever since then, it's been kind of a steady growth, like two miles per hour each year. Um, but then actually playing with the Rays this past fall, we did uh, the Arizona Senior Fall Classic, which was um, a bunch of scout teams and a bunch of really good travel ball teams go out to Arizona and play, um, play in a really big tournament out there where a lot of, a lot of scouts are out there. And 
um, out there, I, I hit 93 on the gun, and that's the hardest I've ever thrown. And that's when I really started to get the exposure, and um, a lot more MLB scouts were contacting me at that point. And then, like I said, it's just been a steady growth from that point. And you're, I guess what some would say is a kind of a projectable frame still because you haven't quite filled out yet. Would that be fair? I would say that's very fair. I definitely have room to get stronger, um, not only physically, but mentally playing against people that are um, really good and even better than me because, I mean, coming from high school, it's um, down in San Diego, it's probably one of the best areas to play high school baseball, and there's a ton of good players, but it's nothing like the minor leagues is going to be, so... Um, I'm definitely going to have to come in prepared and come in uh, ready to work hard. And that is Michael Mercado, the Rays' third-round pick, or third pick overall, signed Friday on the dotted line. Now for some analysis on the Rays' draft class. Joining me from MLB Network and MLB.com is one Jonathan Mayo. Jonathan, were you surprised that all the Rays ended up with Brendan McKay at number four? Yeah, you know, it was like a little bit surprised. I think there was always the chance that if he didn't go 1-1, that he'd be there at four. Um, the, the Reds were kind of locked in the Hunter Green from the get-go uh, if he didn't go at the top. And then it was a question of whether or not the Padres were going to take him at three. And I just never got the sense that they were – it's not that they didn't like Brendan McKay. It's just that that wasn't their primary target. So the fact that uh, that McKay didn't go 1-1, um, it, you know, is uh, – I think the Rays automatically then knew – that he'd probably be there. And from what I gather, Brendan McKay was always number one on their board. And and that being the case, the other thing that was a little bit surprising is that the Rays are going to give him at least a chance at the beginning to try both, pitching and hitting, where most of what you you know read and heard was top three teams were all going to use him as a pitcher, and then the Rays and Rays were thinking of more as a hitter, at least to start, he'll get a chance at both. Yeah, and I think it's great. You know, the Reds are kind of doing the same thing with Hunter Green. And, uh, the fact of the matter is, Brendan McKay will be coming off of a very long uh, college season. Uh, he's still playing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so why not? You know, let him do a little bit of both. Let him ease into the pro game that way um, to, to get his feet wet with something that he's used to doing. You know, if he'd been drafted as a pitcher, he wasn't going to throw it in anyway. So, so you, you let him go throw a couple innings here and there, see how it see how it looks, see how it feels, while, while swinging the bat. And I, I just think the first summer, you know, unless you think a guy is going to help your bullpen out you know, in September, is really just about getting your feet wet. And, and that's all McKay is going to be doing. So you might as well let him do what he's always done for the past three years successfully for a little while longer. And then figure it out, obviously, from there. You know, after taking McKay, the Rays, you know, Depending on who you take, you've got to determine, okay, how do you allot the money going forward? And they went with pitchers or next two picks. They went with Drew Rasmussen, who's in the College World Series with Oregon State, and Michael Mercado, a Stanford sign, who already they've signed, a high school kid, which I think a little bit surprising they were able to get a deal so quickly. Yeah, uh, they, they clearly had a firm idea of what it was going to take to, to sign him. Um, you know, I think a lot of people at the beginning of the spring with Mercado, he kind of was a, a late riser. Some of that was because his performance was so much better, and some of it was because I, I think at first they just assumed that he was completely unsignable. Uh, he'd been compared to me to Tristan Beck, who's at Stanford, you know, ended up going very late in the draft because he didn't pitch this year. He's going to go back uh, for what will be his junior year, actually, because he was a draft-eligible sophomore. Uh, Tristan Beck was, was unsignable out of high school. Mercado, uh, the industry clearly got an indication that there was a certain number that would work. Uh, I'm guessing that the, the Rays will 
save a little money on Rasmussen uh, because he's coming off of an injury. Great stuff. You know, I think that was a really good pick. You know, even if they save some money, that's a fantastic mm-hmm. pick. And then to get Mercado on top of that, uh, their top of their board was a uh, you know close to as good as as just about anybody's. And then below that, the Rays got a guy who may have slipped too. Their uh, first pick on the second day was Taylor Walls out of Florida State, who also is in the College World Series and a guy who played on Team USA last year. Yeah, and just didn't hit this year. You know, he was had always been a, a college uh, college performer. Um, you know kind of gritty little middle infielder. Uh, you probably can play short, maybe better at second full-time. Uh, if, you, if, you know, if you want to be a little critical, maybe he profiles better as a, as a super utility guy. But you know, before this year, he'd always perform well. He, he didn't swing the bat that well this year, but he, he does all the other things, and he does all the little things re- really, really well. And I think uh, that uh, you know, to, to get him a little bit later on, you know, as mostly because uh, his performance dropped a little bit, but there's enough track record there to think that uh, uh, there's a little bit more there from an offensive standpoint. And the race kind of felt that he performed better as the season went on and has done much better, you know, in the tournaments, and obviously Mm -hmm. they'll get a closer look at the College World Series. You know, you mentioned back in a draft-eligible sophomore. On day three of the draft, the Rays took Justin Lewis out of Kentucky, a draft-eligible sophomore, also They've been good at developing pitching, and they obviously like this kid, and I think they feel they can get him, too. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, what has kind of become the somewhat the norm since the, the rules changed with the draft and the draft pool, that if a guy goes kind of early on day three, um, that's an indication that there's a chance to sign him. Not a guarantee. Uh, the good thing about that is that if it doesn't work out, you don't lose any pool money. Anything over $125,000, of course, counts against your pool. So it's kind of a, a no-risk situation. And if guys go early, or uh, it's because they, they want to make sure, all right, we have a sense it's going to take X amount of dollars to sign him, and we don't want to wait because if another team knows that, they may take them. So that's why you're mm-hmm. not seeing guys necessarily going in, say, the 26th round and signing for $800,000. It's more like the 11th or 12th round uh, where that happens more more frequently. You know, you look further down on that day three, there was another kid that I was interested in, and I was curious if you had you know any feel for him at all. Eric Osberg was the nation's leading hitter mm-hmm. before he got uh, hurt with the University of Hartford this year, um, and he slipped to the 13th round. The race also drafted him, and I think also believe that he'll end up starting his pro career with them this summer. Yeah, and, and, and my guess is uh, that I don't think it's going to cost uh, you know extra money for mm-hmm. for, for that to, to get started. Yeah, he, he was, in terms of just performance-wise, as good as any college catcher uh, in, the, in the country. You know, the, the catch-and-throw skills are okay, not great, uh, but he really hit. Uh, and, you know, in the Northeast, there wasn't much. Uh, there was a guy out of St. Joe's, Deion Stafford, who a lot of people thought might be, uh, you know, a day two kind of pick, and he had a terrible spring. And Osberg uh, kind of lapped him in terms of college catchers from, from that region. And, uh, you know, Hartford's had some, some players, you know, come, come from there. Sean Newcomb, who's up with the Braves now, is a Hartford guy. So uh, it's, a, it's a good program for a, you know, slightly smaller Division One school. Uh, but he flat out hit. You know, you never know how those college performers are, how that's going to translate to the next level. Uh, but to get that, that late, you know, often college catchers who hit, you know, go, what, third, fourth, maybe fifth mm-hmm. round, some of the programs. So to, to get him then, I think, was a good get. So it sounds like, I mean, you like the race top of the board. We touched on a couple guys, you know, day two, day three. Sounds like overall they did a pretty good job with the picks that they had. 
Yeah, and then a nice mix. You know, it was kind of, you know, best available guy early. They didn't show it's got to be a college guy, it's got to be a high school guy. You know, after taking a couple of high school hitters uh, a couple of years in a row, you know, you can't pass Brendan McKay up at four, uh, you know, unless unless you know that there's something wrong there. So, uh, you know, and then they built on it from there. Sometimes you get that good first pick and then you end up picking seven college seniors or whatever it is. But uh, overall, it it uh, it was a really good uh, good draft for the Rays, I think. And overall, Jonathan, what was your take? What was the other big story or headline for you for this year's draft? You know, overall, the top talent went when it was supposed to. You know, Neil, there was a lot of buzz that there were going to be some deals made, and that's happened over the last couple of years with the draft pool structure. Um, but, you know, the top five guys in our top 200 went in the top five. And all 30, you know, of the 30 picks in the first round, all but three were guys who were in our top 30. Good stuff as usual, Jonathan. We appreciate a few minutes, and uh, I'm sure you're already working on the 2018 draft as we speak. All right, slow down. Let's get through the Futures game first, Neil. That is Jonathan Mayo of MLB Network and MLB.com. We appreciate him coming on our program, and thanks to him and all of our guests on the show today, including Rays Director of Scouting Rob Metzler, pitcher Jay Cotarizzi talking about Father's Day and his draft day memories, Brennan McKay, the Rays' top selection, fourth overall, who will actually be in the College World Series today for Louisville, as well as the next two picks that the Rays selected, pitchers Drew Rasmussen of Oregon State and high schooler Michael Mercado. Hey, vote today, vote tomorrow, vote Rays for your 2017 All-Stars with the insurance MLB All-Star Game ballot. Vote at RaysBaseball.com slash vote and catch all the excitement of the 88th MLB All-Star Game presented by MasterCard July 11th live on Fox. If you ever have something you want to hear on the show, all you have to do is tweet me at Neil Solons for my producer, Trey Downing. Neil Solons saying, have a very happy Father's Day. This is the Rays Baseball Network. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Driven in the air to center field. Kiermaier going back at the wall, jumps up, and makes the catch. If you missed any of the show, catch it on archive at RaysBaseball.com slash radio. Driven in the air to right field and deep, turning a springer back to the wall. This one is gone. Home.